When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. Welcome to a special episode of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. Today's topical episode is brought to you by the Prince Kai Fan Pod Patreon members. Thank you. Hello, welcome to a special topic episode of Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. Today, I have a lovely guest. This is Bethany speaking, and do you want to introduce yourself, my lovely guest? Yeah, my name is Amanda Elligan, and I host the podcast Adapted for Your Viewing with my brother, and we talk about books and the movies that are adapted from them and have a lot of fun, and we are big fans of Marissa Meyer, so I'm super excited to be here. Yay, me too. So today, we're going to talk about the Disney Cinderella versus Marissa Meyer's Cinder. You said you're a big fan of Marissa Meyer. Do you remember the first time you read one of her books and what your experience with her was? Yeah, I kind of picked her up by accident. I was <laughs> years and years ago, I was working as a nanny and driving all over Chicago. And so I needed a ton of audiobooks and I picked up a bunch from the library and Cinder was one of them. And I probably picked up maybe six. And I returned the, <laughs> the other five and got the rest of Marissa Meyer's books so I could binge them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so fun. Yeah. And the audiobooks are done by a voice actress named Rebecca Solaire. And I think they're wonderful. Not, yeah, she does a great job. Yeah. Not all audiobooks are created equally. So no. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice when they're done well. Yeah. You said you like Marissa Meyer. What do you like most about Cinder? I loved, I thought the setting was super interesting. I'm a huge sucker for fairy tale retellings to begin with. Me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> I could recommend so many. <laughs> oh, good. I feel like we, I may have read most of them, but have you read, um, have you read Alex Flynn? I haven't actually. You should I'll look that one down. for her. Okay. Yeah. I really enjoy her work. She wrote Cloaked and Beastly and... Oh, I have read her. Yes, I have. I forget author names a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but I have read Beastly and I, I think I have Cloaked, but I don't think I've gotten to it yet. Yeah, she's written a lot. I would also recommend K.M. Shea and Jenna James and mm -hmm. Gail Carson Levine. I love Gail Carson Levine. I do too. I really want to do... I'm trying to get someone to do an Ella Enchanted video or episode. I would, de I would definitely be there for that. We could <laughs> even do a movie yeah. too because that one's yeah. a movie. So yeah. you could have that on your podcast too. Yeah, um, that's one that I'm definitely planning to force my brother to read with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. That's okay. That's okay. Really excited. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Anytime I can nerd out with somebody who also loves uh, fun stuff like that, I'm ready for it. Um, yeah, I'm, I've always been a big sucker for that. I think Marissa Meyer does it exceptionally well, uh, where she takes some of the emotional elements and she gives it like this really fun punch of action. <laughs> so everything like emotionally that I love from Cinderella is there, but then it's set in this amazing fun, interesting setting with really interesting characters and really inventive ways of putting those elements together. And I was just a huge fan from the beginning. I Chapter one got me hooked. 
right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think one of the greatest things is that she has a really, she has a skill for, you know, in combining the whimsical and the humor with the serious and the drama and making yeah. it so that both of those elements are enjoyable and cohesive. And yeah. I think a lot of authors struggle when they try to accomplish that, you know, like if it's a serious book, they try to toss in a little bit of humor and it, it always feels disoriented and you know it's not very organic but I think that she as a writer does a really good job and I say that about all her books not just Cinder because even the graphic novels that she wrote have had a lot of good drama and good emotion and good humor as well yeah I also think she does a good job of doing action which I feel like is very difficult to do but her her stuff is action-packed but you never lose where the people are in the scene like you never have no idea what's happening. Like things just aren't flying all over the place. You always know exactly what's happening, what the stakes are. And I think that's very difficult to do. And she does a good job. I agree. And I think one of the greatest things about that is like you said, you always know where all the people are. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get caught up in, wait, who was the she she was referring to? Or mm -hmm. uh, Have you ever mm -hmm. read Twilight? Yes. Yes. Okay. So one of the things I always say is a horrible example <laughs> of action <laughs> scenes being described well is from the first Twilight when she's trying to describe Edward saving Bella from the van. Yes. I the feel like I had to read that multiple times to understand what was happening, which is not I, a good sign. <laughs> I agree. And I, I honestly don't think I ever grasped fully exactly what she was trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and not that those books are bad. I think those no. books get a bad rep. I think they're better than people make them out to be. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely she's not the most skilled author when it comes to writing action yeah. scenes. Yeah. And she cares I, about other stuff for sure. Yeah, she does. And, and, you know, like you and I just said, we, we both read that multiple times and we're still not entirely sure what happened. Yeah. But <laughs> I feel like with all of Marissa Meyer books, you know what happened and you can look back on it, even if you've only read it once and you can get if nothing else, you get the gist of what was going on and where everybody was. Yeah. I, so I haven't heard all, I haven't listened to all of your episodes. Have you talked about where you came into contact with Marissa Meyer first and why you love her so much? Oh, yes. I think we did that pretty early on in the first episode. As I said before, I'm, I love fairy tale adaptations. So when I saw the first cover, when I was rocking around Target, I saw the cover of Cinder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's pretty eye catching. Yeah, I was immediately drawn to it because the, the word cinder caught my eye and then the high heel. And mm -hmm. um, so I read that. By the time I had read it, the second book had already come out. And I finished cinder at like 1.30 in the morning and mm -hmm. drove to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> at 1.30 in the morning, like I got dressed and drove to Walmart to get Scarlet. And I read it, and then I just impatiently waited for all the other books to come out. And then, you know, just everything she writes, I grab. Big fan of Heartless and Renegade's trilogy, and I'm mm -hmm. really excited for Instant Karma. I think that'll mm -hmm. be a nice transition for her to do something a little bit more uh, tame. <laughs> yeah. I haven't, so I have the first book of Renegades and I haven't dove into it yet because I wanted to wait for the whole trilogy to be out because I felt that same way when I finished. I, I reread Cinder for this episode just to like refresh because it's been a while. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, I have to get Scarlet. Yes. <laughs> it's one of those, we've talked about it before on our podcast, but it's one of the few, and Renegades and Heartless are like this too. It's one of the mm -hmm. few books that's great for a reread. Yeah, it was um, really fun for a reread. 
Yeah, a lot of books I think are wonderful even just once or twice through, but you're not drawn to rereading them consistently. You know, like I've read Harry Potter a bajillion times, but I've probably only Mm -hmm. read Twilight two or three times. And I think one of the greatest things, we call it Easter eggs in our podcast, but I think one of the greatest things that makes her books so much fun to reread is that, you know, on the second, third time, fourth time, and so forth, you notice all these little clues and foreshadowing moments that you Mm -hmm. definitely didn't notice the first time around. Yeah, she plans things very well early in the books that pay off very satisfyingly at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the biggest things we just talked about on our podcast, uh, we did a wrap-up episode of Cinder where we got to talk about some of the Easter eggs that hatched. Some of them, you know, even my co-host didn't notice. Like um, in the very first chapter, Iko mentions to Cinder that she's going to have to get different gloves for the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then we find out, you know, towards the, towards the middle that Kai buys her a brand new pair of beautiful silk gloves to wear to the ball. And even just that simple, tiny sentence of foreshadowing, it's, it's hard if you're not looking for it sometimes, but you know, when, when we read it chapter by chapter and we're looking at everything with a fine tooth comb, I get to see so many more details than I even realized were there the first, I think this is probably the seventh time I've read the books, if not more, because I listen to the Mm -hmm. audiobooks too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just a mark of being a well-plotted, planned-out book, for sure. Yeah, and then there's not any, like, little gaps, too. Um, I I know a lot of books, I love Harry Potter, so I don't want to smack down on them, but there are some things that weren't explained very well, and then they leave mm-hmm. kind of little plot holes, so it's, it's you know, okay, it's obvious she came up with the idea for that later, which is fine, right. but, you know, one of the great things about Marissa Meyer is that she obviously had all of this figured out, and, and perhaps, yeah. perhaps she didn't have all of it figured out to begin with, but when she did figure it out, she probably went back and added those elements in, And that's something I've seen when I read Heartless and when I read the Renegade series too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was rereading it, I was surprised at how many things she had for like the later books embedded in Cinder that I just didn't notice before. Like Jason being there, I totally forgot that he shows up in this book. Um, Yeah, we actually meet him pretty early on. We meet him the first time we, we get... The first time we get Kai's perspective, we meet Jacin, but we don't know it's him. Yeah. We just know it's, you know, Sybil's guard. Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and get started on the Disney Cinderella. Mm-hmm. I watched it this morning for probably the first time in, I would say, years. Oh, really? Oh, fun. Yeah. I watched, yeah, I watched it last night, and... I was surprised at how delighted I was to come back to it. I was like ready to be like, oh, this is an old movie from the old times, but it was lovely. It's beautiful. Actually, a lot of the old time stuff made me feel like nostalgic, like the beginning, because that's how all Disney movies were, you know, way back in the day. The beginning was just some random music with pictures and that's when they like showed all the credits and the opening Mm -hmm. scenes and then Mm -hmm. the book opening with Cinderella and that's how they started the narration. I really loved that. Yeah, I really liked how everything with her father and her was watercolors, but when we transitioned to meeting her stepfamily, they were the animated that we see throughout the rest of the film. I thought that was a really interesting choice artistically, you know? Yeah, I was I had so much fun watching it today. And I yeah. I really enjoyed getting to, getting to kind of just sit there and watch it while trying to think about everything as opposed to just kind of mindlessly watching it. Mm -hmm. I thought that made it more fun. Yeah. I thought the, the animation is really incredible. 
which I kind of forget that like how beautiful hand-drawn animation is, but it was gorgeous rewatching it. And like you said, like the backgrounds are all so beautiful, like the watercolors in the beginning. And then just even throughout the rest of the, the film, every background is gorgeous and lush and beautiful. Like I'd want it framed on my wall. It's so pretty. Yeah. And I think something that I noticed too, is that there's kind of like a color palette theme that you can mm -hmm. notice when you're watching it. And I definitely would not have picked up on that you know, when I was younger. And there's there's quite a few things I noticed this time that I didn't realize. Like, uh, for some reason, when I was younger, I always thought she was feeding everyone cheese. Me too. I definitely thought it was cheese. Yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and it's, it's corn curdles. <laughs> it's corn. I was watching it today and I was like, oh, it's probably corn. Yeah. But as a child, I always thought it was little tiny chunks of cheese. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's cool. They get cheese every day. Like, that's a lot of cheese, and she just has it, like, in her apron. And, <laughs> but she's I have, like, eating a, all the animals. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I have a really big TV now, and uh, yeah, that helps. quite a bit better visual quality, and I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, that's definitely the shape and stem of corn kernels. Yeah, it's just corn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why as a child I never made that connection, but um, I guess in your 30s there's always room to learn. <laughs> I think maybe because the mice are taking them and you're just like, well, mice eat cheese and it's orange, yeah. so obviously. I yeah. totally had the exact same thought, and I remember rewatching it as a grown adult and being like, wait a second. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not the only one who had that mistake in their head. Yeah. <laughs> Because I definitely spent the first 30 years of my life thinking she was feeding <laughs> to a bunch of chickens. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised at how much the, like, I thought for sure walking into it that I would maybe get bored during the music and maybe fast forward during some of, like, the mouse hijinks. And all of it was entertaining to me. I feel like the mice are still kind of goofy. I chuckled a couple of times at some of the things they were doing. And the music is really beautiful and it's not as long as for some reason I thought it would be. Um, it's only like a few bars and then it moves the story on, but I thought it was really beautiful. I really liked the music during those action scenes with the mice and Lucifer and things like that because yeah. I thought it was so much fun. And yeah. it reminded me of like old Tom and Jerry cartoons. Yes, where, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Where there's no dialogue at all. It's just action and, and, you know, music and stuff. And I thought that was really great. I also really loved how there were really only two types of music in the whole movie. There was that, and then everything else was kind of like a lullaby almost. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. very soothing tones and voices. Yes. And I really was, enjoyed that. Yeah, it was either silly tubas or something you'd fall asleep to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one absolutely. Of the two. <laughs> I also felt really connected to Cinderella in the beginning <laughs> when she's like yelling at the clock. Yeah. For, <laughs> I was like, this is such a mood. <laughs> yeah, she's like teasing her bird friends and yelling at the clock. And I connected with her immediately to identify yes. with her. <laughs> Did you notice, because I definitely never noticed this as a child, but when the birds are like whistling in the beginning, they're basically saying the syllables of Cinderella. Yeah, and they're, they're saying, wake up, wake up, which I thought was very cute. Yes, and it's all just yeah. whistles. Yeah. But I definitely like definitely watching it and listening to it today, I was like, okay, I know they're just whistling, but I definitely know what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just super funny, but effective at the same time. Yeah. Did you 
I'm a big animal lover, especially of dogs and cats and, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Did you get like genuinely frustrated when Lucifer got Bruno in trouble? Because I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did, but it also made me laugh. (laughs) I was laughing and then I was like, that's so not fair. Look how sad Bruno is. And he already got in trouble for having a dream and like, and he didn't get a a bowl of milk for breakfast. Like, (laughs) true. He does get his hero's moment at the end, so I felt that it was justified. Yeah, so I love Bruno. Bruno's such a good character. Yeah, I thought Bruno was a great character, and Lucifer really is a good character too. He's very <laughs> like, um, he's very sentient for a cat that doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, he has a lot of personality. Yeah, I genuinely laughed out loud when he's on the staircase trying to get the cup. Yes. And he like he like picks his feet up with his tail so he yes can, so he, like so she doesn't see him on the banister I genuinely started laughing yeah. I thought that and was there's, so adorable there's the shot from the other side and it's like the vase and then you see his tail yes <laughs> good it's good funny goofs um I also laugh every time he had the door slammed on his nose for some reason <laughs> he was trying to get in there <laughs> that was really really funny yeah um I also found so much of this to be, I I think perhaps I didn't have it in a nostalgic lens or something, but watching this today, it was like every memory of being a kid and eating popcorn with my sisters on the carpet and watching this came flooding back and mm-hmm. I was like, is 7.30 in the morning too early for popcorn? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the greatest things I noticed about it today was how easy it is to relate to Cinderella and dislike everyone in her family. Yeah. (laughs) I think nowadays they would give the villains like some small redeeming qualities so that you connect to them just a little bit, but we definitely don't get that here. Yeah, no, not at all. I, but I kind of love that at the same time. Like I love how unabashedly terrible like Lady Tremaine is. She was by far like my favorite character to revisit just like her, I think she's so well animated and she's so scary and she's so stern. And then we have really funny moments where like she's teaching her daughters to sing and then she's like, patience above all else. And then somebody knocks at the door and she loses it. And I just think that's so, (laughs) it's such a funny character moment. And she's just a, you know, a bossy stepmom. And she's she's just as evil as, like, the movie needs her to be. And I think that's so good. Yeah, I thought so, too. And I really like how she really only has, like, one facial expression throughout the yes. whole movie unless she's yelling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, her laying in bed being stern with Cinderella is the same <laughs> facial expression as at the end when she's talking to the Duke. <laughs> yes, yeah. The only time we see her kind of smile is when she breaks the slipper. And yes. That's it. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, it's the same facial the same evil stern facial expression what did you think of the palace employees and the royal family the king the prince the duke uh the king was much more violent than I remember (laughs) (laughs) I remember being funny but this like this time watching I was like oh no he's a terrible boss (laughs) yeah he's uh he's got some anger management issues he's got a lot of issues uh but I do still always laugh when he 
when he retires for the night at the ball and he's singing the song to himself and he dances with one of his guards and the guard quickly goes back to like standing. <laughs> and that, that always gets me laughing every single time. And I do like when the prince does fall in love with Cinderella and like says he's going to marry whoever fits the slipper and the Duke's like, it could be any number of girls. And he's like, that's his fault. <laughs> Don't figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, I thought he was really charming for someone who clearly yes. has, like, an aggressive personality. Yeah, it's a, as much as much character as the prince doesn't have, the dad, the king has all the character, which is fun. Yes, and as, as I said, I haven't watched this in several years. I was actually surprised at how little plot time and screen time we get with the prince. Like, it's really, really short. It's he really not like, yeah. three lines. Yeah, <laughs> if that, yeah. He gets like three lines and a song and that's it. So that, yeah. that poor actor, it's a good thing there's royalties because um, <laughs> he didn't get much. I was just surprised because I, for some reason, perhaps because I just read Cinder and we meet Kai like on page three, <laughs> I just didn't realize he had such a small role in the whole movie, but he really does have a small role in the whole movie. Like he's barely yeah. even there. Blink yeah. and you miss it. Yeah. I read some movie facts to kind oh, of brush fun. out before coming here. Yeah. And I guess there was like a couple of sequences that about the prince that they specifically cut. So poor guy got everything, all of his character moments on the cutting room floor, unfortunately. But I think it it works okay. He's not really supposed to. It's about Cinderella at the end of the day. So I'm kind of okay with it. But apparently there was a scene at the beginning where he's hunting a deer. And then it turns out that he and the deer are just friends. And he doesn't like hunt to kill. He just hunts for fun. So I thought that was kind of a cute thing. And then at the end, there was supposed to be a scene where the prince meets Cinderella and realizes she's just like a maid and accepts her anyway. So two very good character moments for the prince that we never got. You know, but. I can understand why they removed the one with the deer, though, because yeah. thinking about it, it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the, like, story. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, both moments kind of take away from Cinderella, who's the main point of the story. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of my favorite characters was the Duke. I found him to be really funny. Yeah. I I remember disliking the Duke as a kid, and I don't know why. I really <laughs> enjoyed him this time around. Yeah, I thought he was really funny. I felt really bad for him. So I was like, this is a really stressful job. Like, I hope he has a good yeah, no formal like, hey, coming. Um, yeah. Or good benefits or something. Yeah, poor guy is literally falling asleep trying to do his job. <laughs> falling asleep and then getting yelled at. Things are being thrown at him. Like, it's a rough job. He's been, he's running around the, job. he's running around the kingdom all night trying slippers on people's feet, which, I mean, Hygiene probably wasn't great back then, so that's a little <laughs> bit gross. Well, hopefully now that he found the princess, he can go and take a vacation. <laughs> Absolutely. He deserves uh, it. What, what did you think of the fairy godmother? Fairy godmother was adorable, and I... She reminds me very much of nostalgic Disney. I think she voices a lot of other Disney characters, and so just to hear her voice and uh, some of the silly stuff she does, it felt very... That that was, for some reason, the most nostalgic for me, was having the fairy godmother show up. Yeah, and what I think I really loved about the fairy godmother was just how how much they leaned into the crazy. <laughs> yes, yeah. She just talks complete nonsense. She basically doesn't make eye contact with Cinderella at all until the very end when Cinderella's mm -hmm. like, yeah, my dress is a little frompy here. Can we do something yeah. about my dress? And yeah. She, I mean... 
notably, I probably watched this as the first time at like four or five years old, but if I had watched this the first time at 30 and not known anything about Cinderella and she showed up, I'd be like, what is she talking about pumpkins and rice for? (laughs) I'm on Cinderella's side. Like you're going to help me get to the ball. That's great. But I need a horse and a new outfit. (laughs) I do. I do like the, the joke that she's like, Oh no, what we really need is a pumpkin. And you're like, what? (laughs) I was on board for that joke. I thought it worked. (laughs) And then every time, every time Cinderella tries to tell her about her dress, she's like, Oh, you're right. We do need a mic. Oh, we do need a horse. Another one. Yes, of course. Another one. And then Bruno. (laughs) And then she finally gets done. And it's so funny when she realizes she's like, Oh God, what are you wearing? (laughs) How great is the animation for the dress transformation? It was so beautiful. It was, it was so like beautiful. it was like twinkly lights everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's I really lovely. Dress. Yeah, me too. I was sitting there with my husband and I was like, I kind of wish we hadn't got married. So I can, so I can have that dress. <laughs> I could get married in that dress. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, it's really pretty. <laughs> I'll just do that for like Halloween sometime. Um, you know. <laughs> I was probably Cinderella more than anything else as a child for Halloween. Um, I was Hermione a lot, you? a lot. No. <laughs> I'm, I have a very curly brown hair and mm-hmm. I'm a big nerd. And uh, when I was younger, my hair was definitely bushy. I had no idea what to do with it. Um, <laughs> so I definitely went as Hermione well into my 20s. <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah. What did you think of the dialogue in the movie? I was surprised at how little there actually was. It was mostly music, I felt like. Yeah, I thought it was, it was definitely pared down, is simple, but I thought it was effective still. Um, like, it, it's not, like, overly flowery. It's, I think it's really easy for both kids and adults to enjoy. I was surprised at how much kind of subtext is happening anytime the characters are interacting, which I thought was kind of sophisticated for, like, a kid's movie, stuff that I didn't really notice. Like, especially when Cinderella and Lady Tremaine are talking to each other, there's a lot going on beneath the surface, and I thought it was really good. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um like insinuation in the way that they talk to each other that yeah. if you're a kid, obviously you're not going to pick up on some of that stuff. But as an adult who kind of looks at it with a critical eye, you definitely notice it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Cinder. Was there any like comparisons that you could make between some of the characters or the plot or the settings? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're two very different experiences for sure. They're two very different adaptations. Um, I was listening to your guys's podcast and for some reason, when I read it, I read Aiko as the fairy godmother. I totally didn't think that she was just like, you know, the animal friends, but that makes a little bit more sense. And that you guys picked the doctor to be her fairy godmother. And I think that that is honestly very vague (laughs) because we really don't have the like Ico and Dr. Erland are so much bigger than a fairy godmother or the animal friends because Mm -hmm. you know the animal friends they don't even really have lines or plots or personalities of their own or character growth or any of that and Ico you know, Mm well-rounded character, especially Mm -hmm. even just those few chapters we get with Cinder. And the same with Dr. Erland, you know, the fairy godmother shows up and fixes her dress and turns a pumpkin into a carriage. And we see her for like five minutes, but Dr. Erland is this very important cog in the plot line of Cinder's life. And 
you know, showing up at the very end with the foot and the hand is great, but he has such a bigger role than just giving her those items when she needed them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think I, I pegged Iko as the fairy godmother because she gave her the dress, but I guess there's not that much else there <laughs> for Iko. I didn't think of that though. And that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she I didn't get that. Yeah, just because she shows up and kind of encourages Cinder throughout the story when she needs it. You know, come easy. to think of it, um, she gave her the foot too, kind of. Yeah, yeah, she does. Because yeah. Cinder told her to throw out the foot, but she didn't. Yeah, um, and you could compare that with the glass slipper, the glass slippers. So that's yeah. a good point. I didn't think of that at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I had just. I was <laughs> like, I remember reading and being like at the beginning of the book and be like, oh, she's going to be revealed to be the fairy godmother later. And I don't know why I had that in my head and it never left. <laughs> I feel like Igo is kind of her own character in she certain ways is. because, I mean, like I said, she's so much bigger than an animal that ties a ribbon around her neck, her, her dress and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, there's not really a comparison of the animal creatures in Cinder because that's not really a thing, you know, and that's not the type of story that it is where she would have little, I don't know, helpers or sidekicks or something. Um, Cinder has a, it's a lot darker than (laughs) than Disney is willing to go. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) What did you think of some of the similarities between Audrey and Lady Tremaine? Yeah, I thought... I thought they were pretty comparable. You know, we never see Lady Tremaine go as far as selling Cinderella, but I I wouldn't put it against, like, I I wouldn't be surprised if she would. But again, that's a little bit too dark for maybe what Disney was going for. Um, But I thought their characters are fairly similar. They're both very protective of their their own daughters and would rather use Cinder or Cinderella as opposed to incorporating her into their family unit for whatever reason. And so I think both of them are very effective at being pretty terrible stepmoms. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I will say one of the greatest things that I love about Cinder is that Cinder and Peony have a relationship. So it's not her entire adopted family that's, you know, horrible to her, but Cinderella really doesn't have that. The only the only creatures in the world that seem to care about her is Bruno and a bunch of mice and birds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they kind of play it off in the Disney version as like, you know, she's really happy about that. But if you think about it a little bit too long, that means Pretty she sad. never has anyone to talk to or, yeah. <laughs> you know, touch or comfort or anything like that. And that can be right. really devastating. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch any of the Cinderella sequels that Disney put out? I vaguely remember the one where they went back in time yeah. And the one where one of the stepsisters fell in love with a baker, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I was a nanny, so I have seen maybe every Disney of all time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in this, I think in the sequel, her and Anastasia become friends for the most part. And yeah, in the third one, they, they do go back in time, which is surprisingly good. That is a lot of fun. And, you know, with Cinder, there's a whole series, so the end is kind yes. of just the beginning. Yeah, 
Yeah. Cinder is basically just exposition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cinder is basically an exposition for the entire series with right. you know some really fun plots going on. But Cinderella is its own story. Mm-hmm. And we really don't get to see where her life goes. It's like she tries on the shoe and then all of a sudden there's music and, she, you know, she gets to keep her horse. Right. <laughs> we get to cute. see that, which is yeah. weird. <laughs> that was like a, a really tiny inclusion that I kind of liked. But, yeah, it was really interesting to have such a such a climactic moment be followed by, okay, that's the end. And there wasn't really like a lot of resolve. I felt like the story, yeah, Um, which is very typical to, to old Disney, you know, classic Disney. It pretty much is like, okay, well, bad guys done. So now they're married happily ever after. Let's play the music and move on. And right. I feel like that's not always the case now, you know, like with the tangled, which is my favorite, Mm -hmm. you know, she doesn't just like, fall in love with Flynn and then it's over or find her family and then it's over. We get kind of a fast forward where they tell us, you know, this also happened and this happened and this happened. And now we're living happily ever after. Right. Um, Yeah. And I think that that's more common now, which I think is a, a good thing that I, I admire that Disney has done. And Mm -hmm. I think something else that Disney should work on (laughs) is maybe being a little bit more inclusive. I know that this was 1950, but that doesn't excuse it. (laughs) It's a mm-hmm. faraway kingdom in a faraway land, but everybody's white. I feel like we can yeah. do something about that. Yeah, they're pretty. It's pretty white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I think you know, nowadays, if we were to recreate this film, they probably would have a lot more inclusion. But definitely at the time, that would have been progressive. And we, you know, there are some rumors about Disney, so yeah, they might yeah. not have done it anyway. <laughs> I think in the in the live action remake that they did a few years ago, it was it was pretty diverse. The cast was much more diverse. That's wonderful. You know, I yeah. saw that and I don't remember it. I'm pretty sure really? I do, and I don't remember it. I I actually loved it. I didn't. I haven't been a huge fan of the rest of the adaptations, but I thought Cinderella is is enough of a skeleton where you can add new and interesting takes on it. And I thought it was really good. I also love Kate Blanchett as the bad guy, so that really helped. Um, <laughs> But it's not it's not on Disney Plus for some oh, reason. It's not? No. Uh. I was gonna watch it yesterday after I finished Cinderella. I'm like, ooh, let's just go through all of them. And nope, it's not on there. I, 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 I love Disney Plus. <laughs> it's changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like rewatching Lizzie McGuire and Wizards of Waverly. I was, just, I was just gonna ask what old Disney Channel shows have you been watching? <laughs> I've been watching, I watched the first episode and the second episode of Lizzie McGuire, and I was like, this totally holds up. (laughs) Are you excited for the new one to come out? I am. I'm a big fan of Hilary Duff, and I definitely learned a lot about my adolescence from watching Lizzie (laughs) McGuire and Stevens and stuff, so I'm really excited for that. Yeah, I was a big Even Stevens fan. I was a little bit of a Lizzie McGuire. I was a little older uh, when that came out, and so I wasn't. I haven't latched on to it as much, but I did yeah. enjoy it. I liked her movie a lot. It was very fun. I probably watched Disney Channel well past the target age group. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Same. Because <laughs> I also love, I still love all the high school musical movies. Um, nice. <laughs> I remember going and seeing the third one in theaters. I still oh, really? love Wizards of Waverly Place. I love yeah, that one. one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely you know, probably should have stopped at a, at a certain age and didn't. I have two younger sisters that are five and six years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. So I like to kind of use that as an excuse, but it's really yeah. not one. <laughs> I have a, I have a sister who's 10 years younger than me. So that was the excuse I always used. 
Yeah. And see, when you have big age gaps like that, it makes it really easy. Yeah, it helps. Um, So then have you, since you're a Hillary Duff fan, did you watch a Cinderella story that she was in? Yes. I'm actually working with my sister Lindsay right now to do a topical episode about that. Um, that movie. And I, I rewatched it the other day and it also holds up. Um, (laughs) And also watching it, I was like, this is the most 2000s movie I've ever seen in my life. We got we've got flip phones and weird mm-hmm. brown and blue striped shirts that make no sense and yeah. Chad Michael Murray who yeah. used to be like the hottest guy in the movie. Yes. Well, I remember him being like the hottest guy in the universe, and then I have no idea what happened to him. But I remember him being like on, a heartthrob at one point. He was just on Riverdale last season. See, <laughs> yeah, I don't watch not. Riverdale, so that's probably why I missed it but I do remember him being like one of the biggest heartthrobs and he kind of you know a lot of the actors that I saw in it I was like I haven't seen these people in years but Hillary still has a really successful career like she's been on Younger for seasons now yeah Mm -hmm. I was watching it and I (laughs) I was watching it and I was like oh the kid from Big Bang Theory is in this really (laughs) have you seen Big Bang Theory I have the guy, the, the actor that plays Howie. Uh-huh. He's on, he's in there? He's in the Cinderella story. Yeah, he plays, he plays the nerd that's constantly hitting on her. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I didn't notice it. And I kind of, when I was rewatching it, I paused and I was like, yep, that's who that is. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're just making me want to watch this movie now. I might go it's watch this. Really it holds up. I love Jennifer Coolidge too, so that was yeah. fun. And uh Rita King was great. I loved her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It I'm really excited to do an episode on that. So listeners will have to keep posted because that's a great movie to go watch. Did you yeah. watch the uh Selena Gomez one? I did, and I liked that one too. I, I like recently- that one a lot. I re- I loved it when it came out. I recently rewatched it. It's kind of goofy, but the dancing is still good. I loved the dancing and all yes. the singing and stuff. I thought that was so much fun. And I'm a big Drew Seeley fan. Me and too. despite the yeah. fact that he's like insanely old, I think he still plays a 17-year-old really well. I think he pulls it off somehow. Yeah. I agree. I think yeah. because he doesn't have as much facial hair as people like, yeah. you know, like Chad he's Michael Murray we were just face. talking about. Yeah, yeah, he has a baby face. Um, Chad Michael Murray definitely looks like a 26 year old in high school, but yes, I, felt like, <laughs> I felt like Drew Seely really pulled it off just fine. Did you ever watch uh, One Tree Hill? I did not, but I know it was big. I didn't, but all my friends did. So I would watch like episodes every once in a while. And even then when Chad Michael Murray was much, much younger, he still looked like he was way too old to be in high school. <laughs> you know, some people just look like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But he's done it. He got, he made his money and he's doing good, I think. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the comparison between some of the plots in Cinderella versus Cinder? I thought I enjoyed both for what they were. They're definitely created with different audiences in mind at different times. They're like 70 years, 60 years apart. <laughs> but I think that like some of the plot ends up resonating the same way. Uh, so in Cinder, you know, we find out that she is a princess, secret princess, and the things that she hates about herself are the things that kind of save her in the end, which is a really powerful message. And then in Cinderella, she's kind of just a nobody, and she 
the things that make her overcome in the end are the relationships that she's invested in with like her animal friends and her optimism and her bravery. And those are the things that help her in the end kind of get where she wants to go, which is also like a really beautiful message, especially for young kids. And so I feel like both have like such similar elements of being, you know, oppressed of, you know, doing your due diligence to, you know, follow the rules and do what you can. And then when that doesn't work, having to look within yourself to like overcome what you can. And so I think some of the plot ends up, despite them being super, super different, (laughs) a lot of the plot ends up following the same steps because we're seeing these really character rich women overcome the odds to become better, which I think is really great. And I think that's really well said, too, because some of the similarities between the two characters, you know, we talk a lot on our podcast about how Cinder is far more vocal and Mm -hmm. she advocates for herself in a way that the Disney Cinderella does not do. She's Mm -hmm. very like meek and, you know, she bites her tongue and she kind of, you know, has a kill him with kindness toward, you know, outlook on life and Mm -hmm. she's very optimistic and Cinder that girl's not optimistic in the slightest (laughs) and she doesn't really have any reason to be. One of the greatest things I think Marissa Meyer did when she was creating the character of Cinder is that she really changed those aspects of her character Mm -hmm. where Cinderella would have, you know, bit her tongue and said, yes, stepmother and things like that. When Cinder's talking to Audrey, it's like, yes, okay, well, I better go, I better go back to work before you decide to sell me off again. And she's very sarcastic and very, in a really deserved way, very snooty towards Audrey. And I think Mm -hmm. that Audrey definitely deserves it. And we never really get that comeuppance between Cinderella and Lady Trumaine. You know, Cinderella just kind of is like, hi, I get to marry the prince. Bye. And we don't, we don't really see any, any backlash for the three evil people in her life. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) There out of all the Cinderella adaptations, this is the only one where the stepmother and stepsisters don't get their comeuppance, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, because if you look at the Grimm, you know, they mm-hmm. get their eyes pecked out by birds and they mm-hmm. cut off parts of their foot so that it'll fit in the shoe and and become slaves at the palace. And here, nothing, just they lose their maid. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's really all that happens to them. I think that at the time, that was probably a typical reaction I believe Snow White was the very first one. And I know that she kind of, you know, the the evil queen kind of died, but she didn't really die. She just kind of disappeared off screen in a very vague and ambiguous way. I'm pretty sure. Didn't she fall off like a cliff? She fell off like a cliff. And I think we see the cloak like ripple, but that's it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So it's like very vague. It's very ambiguous. We don't yeah. really know if she died or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So... It's definitely a good comparison that pretty much nothing happens to the bad guys in this movie other than they lose their maid. And I think that I, while I realize that Cinderella in this Disney version, her character is probably okay with that. I, as a human being, would like to have some <laughs> kind of come up. And- well, it's funny that like, like they're, you know, the entire movie in Disney, most of the emotional conflict and tension is between Cinderella and Lady Tremaine. And so the moment that's kind of the punch to the gut is when 
Cinderella pulls out the other slipper and she still gets to marry the prince. And so, yeah, it's supposed to be like Lady Tremaine basically she's outsmarting Lady Tremaine. But the person who gets the comeuppance is Lucifer because he's the one that gets shoved out the window. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good thing cats land on their feet, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he's totally fine. <laughs> but no, definitely not. That cat is probably not good. <laughs> right. The last comparison I wanted to make with you was the Duke mm-hmm. versus Con Torin, who is a favorite of mine. He's pretty great. He's wonderful, but the Duke is like a very different character. (laughs) Yeah, extremely different. (laughs) He's very submissive. He's very animated. He's kind of a caricature. He literally does whatever he's told and, and, you know, yes, sire, and he's very nervous and very scared and contouring, you know, he has moments where he's so brazen that I get angry with him. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when he, we, we went on a rant about it on the podcast about him, uh, you know, telling Kai, like, well, I allowed you your freedom long enough. And, yeah. you know, that always bothered me a little bit. But what did you think of those two characters since they're so incredibly different, but they both obviously have like an advisory role to the royal family? Yeah, I think they're probably just a reflection of the king they're serving. <laughs> <laughs> like, we never really get to see Kai's dad in action. You know, the only scene that we get of him, he's cut off halfway through talking and then goes unconscious. And so anything that we can glean about Kai's dad, we really get from, from the character of Contorin. And so I, I think that he serves like a really powerful purpose to like remind Kai over and over again of his duty and what he's supposed to be doing and caring about instead of being on the romance that we all want him to be on. <laughs> <laughs> And I think the same can be said for the Duke, where he is literally just a reflection of the craziness he has to put up with every day. (laughs) That's a really good way to look at it, too, because like you said, we don't really get to know Emperor Riken at all. And if you think of it as just a reflection of their king, that kind of makes them a little bit more similar than they would normally be, even though their personalities might not be different. Yeah, Yeah. They, they both have the same kind of inflection. So that's a good point. But they do, I mean, they both come off as people who really care about their duty. Yes. The Duke from Cinderella, a little bit more because of his life at stake, <laughs> unfortunately. Whereas, like, Contorin is kind of married to the job. and Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything that you didn't like about this movie? I don't know. I was prepared to be very critical of it. And I was surprised at how how heartfelt it was and how little I actually had to walk away with being, I don't know, up in arms about. I've heard so many, I've heard so many criticisms. I feel like it's really popular right now to like pick apart old Disney. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And so I've heard so many criticisms about Cinderella's character. And, but I, I feel like a lot of her strength of character is conveyed subtextually, like the way she's animated and her body, body language in scenes, which I feel like is, is hard to get. I, and I think her story of wanting to believe that things could get better, even when everything is stripped away from her, is a really beautiful message. And I think that's why it's kind of stood up to the test of time. Uh, it's very easy to resonate with her. And so there actually was, I was surprised at how little there was for me to kind of nitpick. I think I feel the same way. I couldn't really Mm -hmm. latch on to anything that I had a complaint about. And, you know, I think that picking apart old Disney movies and TV shows and everything, you know, that's 
becoming and music is a big one now too. Um, mm-hmm. Becoming such a trope in our society, but yeah, and I'm sure that there are you know controversial issues with this film. But if you just look at it to look at it and you're not really focusing on that, I think it's still enjoyable to watch. Mm -hmm. I don't see any character flaws with Cinderella, but I'm a big proponent of letting characters be characters. Yeah. For example, I know there's a lot of people that don't like the way that J.K. Rowling wrote Lavender Brown as Mm -hmm. this sort of giggly, gossipy girl. But I know lots of giggly, gossipy girls. And it was nice to actually see one in a book who was a real character. You know, we didn't really judge her or make fun of her. She wasn't the mean girl in school. She was just giggly and gossipy and maybe a little over-emotional about her first crush. But I've heard a lot of people get on, you know, a soapbox about characters like that and how, you know, we need to have positive female role models. And I think that we do. And I, I definitely encourage having positive female role models, but I also like to be inclusive enough to admit mm-hmm. that there are characters like that in the world. There are human beings that act that way and we shouldn't, you know, make fun. We shouldn't claim that that makes them any less of a good role model. And I think yeah. that, you know, the, the suggestion that I've noticed a lot of people is that Cinderella is, not a good role model because she doesn't stand up for herself. Her whole life is turned upside down because of a man and things like that. But that's actually a really good representation historically of what women were treated like and what they had to go through. You know, I mean, for example, my family were Romanian immigrants and up Mm -hmm. until, I don't know, maybe a generation or two ago, it was all arranged marriages and the woman really didn't have a say in the matter. And that's still common practice in many cultures across the world. So you know, having this movie where we give an example of a woman whose life is changed by a man, it shouldn't be considered a bad thing because it's just a historical representation of what women have had to go through and overcome. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the fact that we don't see her after her marriage, you know, kind of, kind of works against the argument that this is just a story about a woman whose life has become better because of a man, because the man's not really there. Like he doesn't, really do that much like it's it's Cinderella who believes that she deserves to be at the ball even though everything is telling her that she doesn't deserve to be there and it's it's her own belief in herself and the things that things can get better that you know in in the moment where she finds out that it's the prince that she danced with and now he's looking basically to marry whoever he danced with she 100% believes oh that's me i have every right to try on that shoe i'm going to be there i'm going to you know marry this guy that i just met which has its own things <laughs> thank you thank yeah. you for finally pointing that out <laughs> you know it is what it is um but that she has every right to you know just because she doesn't she's not born to something fancy. Uh, She's just a normal person. She has every right to become a princess. And I think that's what's enduring about the story, not the fact that like some guy just swoops in and makes this girl a princess and marries somebody he just met. I think it's the fact that she, from the very first time she hears about the ball, she's like, yes, I'm going to go there. I don't care. I don't care what chores I have to do. I'm going to be there. And then when she finds out, you know, she has basically this opportunity to make her life better. She's like, yes, that's my opportunity. I'm doing it. And I think that's kind of what makes her, I I know it's, it's not the strength that we see nowadays all the time, but I agree with you. I think that, you know, strength, feminine strength does not always look one way. And I think Cinderella is a nice representation of 
somebody who's gentle and kind, but still a strong character. I think too, like being the way that she behaves towards a step family that is so incredibly cruel to her, that is an example yeah. of strength. Yeah. Um, because, you know, obviously plenty of people, myself included, want to smart off in situations like that. We just talked about how mm-hmm. Cinder is very good at advocating for herself when she feels like she needs to, whereas Cinderella never does that. And I think that that comes with its own strength of character. Yeah. Be able to bite your tongue and turn the other cheek and all of that, you know, killing them with kindness and things like that. It's not always easy to bite your tongue and say, you know, yes, ma'am, and kind of walk away. Mm-hmm. And I think that having the ability to do that in and of itself is a good, a good aspect. Mm -hmm. I think that is an aspect that makes her a good role model. And I think it also goes back to what you said, where it's not really about the prince. It's about Cinderella. It's about her character and her story and what happens to her in her life from the beginning and the transition and the end. Mm -hmm. I also think it's, a strength of character not to internalize the things that are being said about you. And I think that's the biggest difference between our Disney Cinderella and Cinder is that Cinder's whole struggle throughout the book is how she's internalizing what people say and believe about her, about her being less than human because she's a cyborg. And then on top of that, finding out that she's lunar. So she's even more of like a weirdo and her self-hatred she's fighting against her self-hatred the entire book up until the moment where Lavana wants her to basically pull the trigger on herself and she the things that made her hate herself in the beginning of the book are the things that save her in the end and I think that's super cool whereas like Cinderella never internalizes the things that are being said about her um, like yes she's being called a maid and being belittled all the time but she doesn't let that stop her from moving forward and doing the things that she wants to do Yeah, those are like the two biggest differences between our Cinderella characters. I think so too. And I think that they're both good role models for for all of those reasons because Mm -hmm. I don't think that a good role model has to be uh, perfect or, you know, have to meet all of these qualities or all of those qualities. I think that even just one or two aspects that you can relate to or that can inspire you is is all it takes to make a good role Mm -hmm. model. And I think Mm -hmm. that Cinder and Cinderella both have aspects that make them good role models for boys and girls all over the world. Yeah. And Cinder's story isn't done. We just got the first kind of installment of it. We just got the first book. We get get so much more of Cinder. I'm really excited for that. Yeah. So let's talk about Adapted for Your Viewing. That's a podcast you do with your brother. Where did you guys get the idea from? So I am, I'm one of five. And so the brother I do, I have two sisters, two brothers, and the brother I do a podcast with is my middle brother. And he and I always like picking apart everything we consume. So books, movies, we we are huge fans of podcasts. We watch like the same analytical YouTube videos as each other. We drive our family nuts because... (laughs) we'll all go see a movie as a family and then me and my brother will pick it apart for the next like two hours. (laughs) And so when I, you know, we grew up in Chicago and I moved down by my husband's family in the summer of 2018. And ever since we kind of moved apart, we were always looking for something creative to do. We actually worked together remotely and we found ourselves always talking about work (laughs) instead of fun stuff. And so it kind of forced us to be in a creative space together. And we've had a lot of fun doing it since. So 
It's something that we get to connect with now that we're not in the same place anymore and uh, something we can do creatively together. That's awesome. And I really like the whole idea of the, the podcast, the whole concept of comparing the two versions of the same story. What do you like most about podcasting? <laughs> you know, me and my brother are both nerds, so we love the nerdy part of it. We end up talking a lot more than I thought just about like what makes a good story and how good stories and characters are communicated to an audience in different mediums. I like reading about that and talking about it and consuming it, so it's fun to do it in a setting where I can share it with an audience. And having a community that talks back at us about those things is really fun. So I've really enjoyed doing that and I don't have to figure out video editing yet. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, podcast editing is hard enough. Like, yes, yes, that's enough. <laughs> it sounds like more work. Yeah. I just listened to your Harry Potter episode yesterday oh, while fun. doing housework and stuff. And I really enjoyed the different um, you guys came up with a lot of stuff to talk about that never occurred to me, and that was really interesting. So I do encourage everyone to go and listen to that episode. Thank you. People find your podcast so they can listen to other episodes. Uh, we are all over the place. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and basically everywhere you can find podcasts. Awesome. And it's at Adaptapod on Instagram. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Adapted for your viewing was too long of a tag. So yes. <laughs> yes, that's why our name is Prince Kai Fan Pod and not Podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming today. This was a lot of fun. I'm always happy to talk to someone about fairy tale adaptations, and I think you and I should follow each other on Goodreads so we can yes. see all the fairy tale adaptations because I read a lot of them. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, definitely. I definitely will. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was very fun, and yeah. I would love to come and talk about any other adaptations that you'd like to talk about. Yes, and sometime we'll have to have you on for a couple chapter discussions, too, since you're such a big TLC fan. Yeah, so definitely. In the meantime, all our lovely listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe, both adapted for your viewing and the Prince Kaitham pod. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest is Amanda Elegan from Adapted for Your Viewing podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye.